I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I'm the practice owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area, putting out helpful and hopefully valuable content for you, the practice owner out there. And we have Tony Maritato back on the show today. He is a physical therapist, a private practice owner, many things online, many creative projects. And we have another creative project. But before we get into the creative project, today's topic, seven tips to maximize the sale price of your physical therapy practice. Before we get into that, Tony Maritato, welcome back on. Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's always so much fun to be on your show. Always great to chat with you and hear what you're cooking up. So I saw this blog post about ways that, and you published this, ways for practice owners to maximize the sale price of their physical therapy business. And I was like, oh, this is published on, on a new platform, on a new website. So for the audience that are physical therapists and practice owners out there, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Then we'll get into the topic because that topic was posted and published to this new website. So what is this new website? Yeah. So before I even talk about the new website, let me just say for everybody watching, like we know the value of a network. We know the value of the people that you surround yourself with. So I reached out to Dave because I was dying for Dave to create an article talking about practice acquisition and valuations. And you're putting out so much great content, but it's all on podcast and YouTube. I'm like, I need words. I need words on you know a website. So one way I was looking at it was, I'm just going to reach straight out to you directly and say, hey, can you do something for me? But then the second part was, I'm going to bait him by putting out something. Now, I am certainly not an expert. I'm not anywhere near the level you are in practice acquisition, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw out these seven tips. I think they're valuable and maybe that'll inspire or get you, Dave Kittle, to put an article together that I can put on the website. So the website is choosept1st.com. First is the number one st.com. And the idea behind the website is simply, I've been obsessed for years to create a platform that allows small providers, single owner operators, mobile therapists, brick and mortar to improve their ranking organically on Google. None of us individually are going to have a high authority website. We're not going to beat Yelp and ZocDoc and a lot of the other directories. So I said, let me pool the resources together. Let me create another directory. This is my second one more broadly focused to just help elevate the profession at large. I'm never going to give back to the profession by teaching clinical skills. I'm not that good of a therapist. I'm certainly not a researcher, but I can give back to the profession by creating a platform like this that improves exposure to help the people who need our services the most. So that's the idea behind it. Choose PTFirst.com. 
Now, when you're ready, let's get into the article. Let's get into it. Let's get into number one. All right. So, you know, and, and I just kind of randomly said, what are the things that people aren't talking enough about? Some of this you're talking about on your show, the Dave Kittle show, some of it you're not. The first thing is the most basic, right? Like the stuff that nobody wants to think about. Get your finances organized. I am guilty of it myself. Like I'm that therapist, business owner that it's usually around March of the following year that I start to think, oh, I need to go catch up my finances, my QuickBooks, my accounting for the last 12 months of the previous year. And of course, I'm not going to do it overnight. So then we file an extension. I talk to my CPA. He gets frustrated with me. And it's probably sometime around June, July, or August before we actually get the finances filed for tax returns and stuff from the previous year. It's been 20 years that I've been a private practice owner. And I don't think more than once did we ever file taxes on time. But if I want to sell a practice, like I clearly need to have organization around the finances. Everything starts with the books. And if the books are a shambles, I'm never going to sell. And, that, and that's been a big barrier for me looking at potential acquisitions from larger companies. They're like, all right, send over your profit loss, send over you know, your balance sheet. I'm like, I don't have it. It's horrible. It's a complete disaster. So number one, we've got to do the reps. We've got to do the hard work, the stuff that nobody wants to do. If it was easy, everybody would be selling and we'd all be rich, but it's not. Organize your finances. What's your experience with that? Because I know you have to see some pretty ugly books. Well, yeah. So first off, we'll speak to a practice owner and they'll want to have some confidentiality, right? So we'll, we will send a mutual NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Sometimes they might send their version. So, okay, we'll sign that, whatever. Then it's like, okay, so we need the last three years of tax returns, the last three years of income statement, balance sheet, and PL, profit and loss statement. And some owners are able to send it. Well, sometimes they'll be able to send the NDA within 24 or 48 hours. If the NDA takes a week or two, that's the first signal. Then the next signal would be how long it might take for them, their bookkeeper, their accountant, et cetera, or themselves to send over the big request, which is the, the last three years of tax returns and financials. And in some cases, yeah, they might say, oh, I have to, you know, talk to my accountant and bookkeeper about getting those and they don't even really have them handy or they may, maybe need to get those procured from those professionals. So that's, we've seen everything from owners that are like, already know what's going to be asked of them. And they probably already have spoken to other buyers versus some other owners that are just getting into the the potential thought of of exiting or transitioning. And they don't have any of this even handy already. So that's that's why this number one point is important, organizing these financials ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. So jumping into number two, I was listening to your interview just a couple of days ago with an individual that was acquiring dental practices. And so one of the things that he brought up that I thought, this is something that I've kind of shared indirectly, but nobody's really talking about is, we look at the valuation based on profits. We look at, you know, third-party payer contracts. We look at these things, but we're like, really, if I want to sell my practice, probably the greatest asset within the practice is the team that I've built, you know? And so when we look at not just selling the business, but also selling the staff that goes along with the business, if I can put together a stellar team, 
I've got a more valuable business, especially a team that's going to stay and persist with the business itself when it gets acquired. Um, I always think back to the game Moneyball, where you're looking at not the best individual players, but the best team that you can assemble. And I know that whenever I've hired somebody over the last 20 years of practice ownership, I've almost never hired somebody for a specific role and kept them in that role. Because once I've hired them, I realized, oh, they're much more valuable doing something else. And it plays to their strengths and minimizes the effect of their weaknesses. So when I'm looking at my business and if I want to sell a business, especially a service-based business, I need to understand that a huge component of the value is the team that I can put together and making sure that that's a team that's going to stick together as they go to the new owners. What's your experience there? The team is vital and an owner can kind of flub up getting the financials to us. And if they have a great team, it's like that's like forgiven or or pushed to the side because the team is vital. Right. So we will look at Google reviews, Yelp reviews. We want to look at, I mean, website reviews. You can kind of type your own, you know, client testimonials and and reviews on your website. But the team is vital. And so they have to be in a service-based business, physical therapy, dentistry, whatever it is. The team, they have to be able to communicate. They have to be likable and they have to get the clinical outcomes. They have to be good clinically or or good enough. And learning right over years, over time, they're they're getting better. But the very first like table stakes is like they have to be likable and approachable and some mix of like caring and empathetic. And all, most of us are in physical therapy and, and in healthcare. The team is vital. This is a service-based business. This is this whole practice and business is based off of relationships. And if these professionals can't make and create and retain these relationships that's where there's going to be challenges in, in practices. And that's why buyers will pay more for a really great team because the team is vital. Yeah, you know, the equipment, it's worth what it's worth. Like even those clinics that have super high, high-end high equipment, as soon as you buy it, it's worth less than you paid for it. But the individual with those soft skills who can build lasting relationships, and we talk about the lifetime value of a client, it really comes from how great the relationship is between the therapist and that client. And so number three, moving past building the team is raving fans, the client base. And when I look at my time as a practice owner and I look at from year number one to number two to number five to number 20, the idea is that we know the power of word of mouth. And so I'm typically looking at, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, I'm looking at a 30% return rate for clients that were treated in the previous year. I almost don't care. Like I've, I've employed amazing physical therapists in which I would never do what they do from a patient care perspective because I don't like the technique or the intervention or, or whatever it is. I'm more exercise based. They're more manual based. None of that stuff matters to me as an employer. What I'm looking at is are there patients coming back, coming back for new conditions, coming back for other services? Because if the patient comes back, that's the best indicator that the patient actually values the service that was delivered. They want to experience that again. So while kind of it, it almost sounds counterintuitive, we want to be those therapists that make you better and you never come back. We know the reality is humans are going to get hurt. Humans are going to need services. 
So I'm usually looking at a 30% return rate as like my criteria to say, hey, this therapist is doing a great job. This person's coming back year over year, case over case. That's awesome. So building that raving fan base, building that population where if you think of a 30% return rate in a couple of years, you never need to market again because you have a full caseload of returning patients that's continuing to grow and, and accelerate. What are you looking for? Do you ever look at those metrics on how many patients come back year over year? It's not an initial metric, but it is something that we look at, but it might be further down as we speak to a practice owner more and more and dig into their their electronic medical records and look at that further on. But you're right, because as a buyer, now, so as an owner, an owner could show us that, and that actually could be leverage for them to negotiate a higher price because an owner like you, Tony, can say, well, you know, 30 or 33% of my patients every year, year over year, you have zero marketing spend to get them back into the clinic. So that is very valuable for a practice owner. And when you're talking about the raving fans, these folks are saying two things. If they're coming back, they're typically going to be saying, or by returning back into your clinic, they're going to be showing or saying that they like coming back. They like the people there. And they feel better when they leave or they feel better after a plan of care, meaning effective, like clinical results and outcomes. So all those things are very valuable to buyers like us. So practice owners can absolutely lean into the fact that they have these raving fans, these return clients. And, you know, I'm getting banged up all the time. I'm playing weekend baseball here in Brooklyn. I've had an oblique issue. I've had, you know, shoulder pain hamstring strains. And I mean, all these things, right? So like my wife, Annie is a physical therapist. So, you know, we'll work on each other. Not everyone has that luxury. And so therefore I would most likely be going back to the same place, like, you know, your clinic, Total Therapy Solutions in in Ohio or whatever the nearby place is. And the only reason I would go back is if I, I like the place and the people and they get me better. Because if you get people better, but it's like a negative work environment, weird culture, whatever, like that's awkward. And who would want to go back to that? But then also like if the physical therapy practice is like, they're great, they're nice. They give you coffee and tea and cookies or whatever. And they open the door for you. They walk you to their car, whatever. But they, but if they never get people better, they don't get clinical outcomes. I don't know how much longer are people going to return there? So those things are vital in creating raving fans, owners can absolutely lean into some of those things to maximize the value of their practice. And for those of you guys that are watching and you hear us keep saying raving fans, that term comes from a book. The book was written by Kenneth Blanchard. And just the whole idea is that, you know, Seth Godin uses the the term your tribe. We just want those people that are loud voices in the community that rave about the quality of the experience that your business delivers every single human has a circle of influence around them, you know? And so our goal as business owners, we want to influence the influencers. We want to build that referral base. And so in my town, just for context, when I first came to Ohio, all of the the surgical groups, all of the primary care docs, they were all independent. Now, 20, 10, 15 years later, they've all been acquired by the hospital. They're all under pressure to send referrals to the hospital-based outpatient therapy. But because we grew such deep roots in the community, we have these raving fans that as soon as somebody tells somebody else, hey, I need therapy, 
or like, oh, you have to go see Tony, you have to go to Total Therapy, you have to go see Jenna or or Jeremy or anybody on the team. That's what we mean by raving fans. But it comes from a book, Kenneth Blanchard. You can find it on Amazon. So number four, and I know you embrace this, is not just profitability, but accelerating growth. You know, and and when we look at the multiples that tech companies are able to to use for purchasing businesses, when we look at all of that, it's all about accelerating growth. So it's one thing to have a successful practice, but if you can show that growth acceleration, when I was listening to you on a recent podcast, you talked about that, and and that's the difference between a three time multiple or a five time multiple, or even higher than that you know, is showing that acceleration. So what are you guys looking for in terms of growth, steady growth, accelerating growth? Like what are some of the key factors? Year over year revenue and and profit growth certainly are, are the big drivers. And then you would dig in further of looking at, you know, productivity per therapist, which is challenging because, you know, some of them are starting or leaving if there's therapists in a practice they're not all starting at the same time so you kind of just take a view of it like maybe the last quarter the last the trailing 12 months the last 12 months if all the therapists have been there for those 12 months in terms of like what is their what is their productivity in terms of the gross numbers though the the profit and the yearly revenue are the the big numbers to be looking at and then the challenge right now is practice owners some of them had challenge in an issue coming out of covid so some practices were hit very hard. Some of the practices that we're, we're speaking with have been hit very hard and they still might not even be back to where they were in 2019. And many of them are though. So the ones that are, you know, when they're negotiating with us, they can, you know, push very hard and, and push back on us and saying like, you know, hey, well, like we're back to 100%, you know, like some practice owners, they might say that they lost, you know, a year's worth of growth. Whereas if there was no COVID, they might have been, you know, another 20 or 30 percent higher than where they are right now. So there's a lot of that is negotiable. It is a challenging landscape right now coming out of COVID. But 2022 for most practices is a lot better than 2021. So when we're looking at the accelerated growth that you're talking about here in the the fourth point, also, we can take a three year history or or even four years. Some practitioners are like, hey, look at my five year view. Because if their 2018 and 2019 was also accelerating and improving, and if you, I mean, COVID happened, but they, some of them will say, if COVID didn't happen, it would have continued that stair stepper increase. And then you can kind of track numbers based off of how they performed in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And then you can get into some creative financing or creative deals where sometimes the owner and the seller and the buyers are too far apart in where they value the practice. So then X amount of money could be paid at the close. And then X amount of money could be as an earn out like performance based. So if the practice owner really does believe it's going to continue to improve and grow in the next year or two with growth that they've built into the practice. Okay, well, then, if you think that your practice is going to hit, you know, 2 million in top line revenue next calendar year in 2023, maybe there's some milestones and performance metrics that we could build in there. So like if the practice does hit that, then they get an extra 200 grand, 400 grand, 500, I mean, whatever the number is. So there's a little bit of a challenge because of COVID and there's not going to be significant accelerating growth right now compared to like software companies, like you said. So those are the types of things that we're seeing. And I think there's lots of ways to show that growth. You know, obviously you could grow revenue, you could grow profits, you could grow patient referrals, you can grow clinicians, like grow your staff. 
locations, all of that. But number five from our list is building a massive moat. And so I don't hear enough people talking about this. This was a concept I originally heard from Warren Buffett when he talked about building a moat around your business. He looks for businesses with deep moats. The whole idea behind building a moat is it can be done in a lot of different ways. So I've always done it through geography in a lot of cases. I go into an underserved area or I go into an area that maybe has one competitive clinic. When I opened my second second location down in Florida, we opened across the street from an outpatient hospital-based clinic. I knew that that outpatient hospital-based clinic wasn't able to get new patients in for a two to three week waiting period. So I knew that if I could open a clinic right across the street, patients would see me. I had an opportunity to siphon off some of the patients that didn't want two or three weeks, and it was still largely an underserved community. So I had the geographic barrier that also was one in which I had better parking than the hospital because patients could literally park five feet from my front door. I had the speed of getting you in. I could get you in for 24 hours or less from the time that you called. And we had convenience, you know, it was just so easy to work with us compared to the hospital. Other practices will build a moat around their business in the form of either insurance contracts, like again, down in Florida, Florida Blue Cross has been closed forever as an insurance network. So if you're in network and a new competitor wants to come into your area, they're not going to be able to get in network. That is a competitive moat that provides a level of protection around your business it gives you kind of a, a unique competitive advantage, which we'll talk about in number six. But the idea is I love being able to say, this is what protects me from changes in the environment, right? What was my moat around when COVID hit? Well, I had multiple locations and I had online income sources so that even when I closed my clinic for two months, I was still making money online. I had redundancies in the system that allowed me to continue to operate and protected me from almost any change, whether it be competitors, changes in the economics. You know, right now we're talking about recession. What are we doing for recession? I've got protection against that. So when you guys are looking at valuing a practice, like do you discuss a mode or any kind of protection or, or what gives them a level of safety knowing that you're going to buy this practice and it's going to be successful? Sure, absolutely. And and a little bit of, I mean, in New York City and Brooklyn and, and elsewhere around the New York City area, it's not exactly like a rural setup with a, you know, a parking lot and easy parking. But of course, things like near a subway or, you know, large yeah. buildings or condos and things like that that are around certain locations where it's ease of access, like someone could actually walk and, and get to your clinic within two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. The thing about the insurance contracts also is very appealing because many practice owners and we're speaking with practice owners that are in network only and then some that are like out of network and like maybe take Medicare. So a little bit of a hybrid. But the ones that are in network, the theme so far that we're seeing is that they're only spending in some cases, like maybe a couple hundred bucks a year, maybe a couple thousand bucks a year max on advertising. So the moat there with the insurance contracts is they're showing us they're like, hey, like we don't really have to pay for any marketing at all. And like the phone rings and we get patients calling us. So that is very, very valuable. Right. And that feeds into what I already mentioned, number six, the competitive advantage. 
You know, like I'm a huge poker player. I love Texas Hold'em. I've played forever. All of the kids in our family play like we're right around the corner from Thanksgiving. We're going to have probably a three table, 30 family member poker tournament for Thanksgiving, you know? And so with that, one of the things that came out of poker is if you look around the table and you can't figure out who the fish is, who the bad player is, who the donkey is, it's probably you. So not knowing your competitive advantage, not knowing what makes you absolutely unique in the profession or in your geography, that's really hard. You have to know, you have to go in. I'm not going to pick a fight if I don't know I can win that fight, right? And so when I'm looking at my competitive advantage, my primary competition where I am is Novacare, Athletico, and the local hospital. So they're all big corporates. I'm not competing against any small, nimble private practices. So I leverage that. I know that corporates can't work and negotiate around what the patient can afford. I can deliver more customized plans of care that are within the price point the patient can afford, but still allow me a reasonable profit margin. Like I said before, I could take walk-ins. So in my, my building, we had two spine surgeons that were occupying a large percentage of the building. When their patients walked across the hall, I could do my evaluation right then and there, right that minute. I pretty much guarantee there is no physical therapist working for a large corporate body who is going to take a walk in when they already have a full caseload. So my competitive advantage was I'm going to make this as low friction as possible for my new patients. I'm going to guarantee they're never going to get a surprise bill that they didn't expect that they didn't know they were supposed to pay. And I'm going to make this as enjoyable of an experience as humanly possible because they're already doing something they don't want to do. They're coming to physical therapy. They're in pain. They're scared. They're anxious. They've failed other interventions. Usually I want to take some of that edge off, you know, and so that's my competitive advantage. And then, of course, hey, I own a building and I've got two spine surgeons renting space from me. That's a pretty steep competitive advantage against anybody else who's in the market. I am going to have first shot at all of those patient referrals. We know practice owners that have family members who are referring physicians, like there's lots of arrangements out there. Everybody's going to have some sort of competitive advantage. When you guys are looking, is there something that weighs higher on your priority scale when it comes to something like a competitive advantage? I think really the competitive advantage goes back to the team, because without the team, there is no cash flow. There's no return patients. There's no outcomes. I mean, the team is huge. Like we put a lot of effort into digging into not just like the therapist, like bio on their, on their website, but we'll probably look at, eventually we'll probably look at like their LinkedIn and Google their name and see what other, you know, may, do they have a personal website? Do they have, you know, a side hustle? We want to look at how are they putting themselves out there digitally? Eventually, if we get, you know, further, further, further along the road, eventually we want to speak to the owner about like actually meeting the team even before a hard close of the transaction, because it also depends if the owner is going to be stepping out or if they're staying on. And if they're staying on, then we might not meet the team. But if, if they're trying to transition out as the owner, then we absolutely need to meet the team even before formally closing. So the competitive advantage is the team. It could be a CHT, like not a lot of clinics have a certified hand therapist. So that's like very valuable. And then it's like, where do the referrals come from in terms of the marketing side? So like, do they get a lot of physician referrals? Are they direct access? 
Do they get a lot of folks from Google or Facebook ads or or just organically on LinkedIn? Or I'm sorry, not not LinkedIn, um, organically on Instagram for patient facing things like that. So the competitive advantage for us, though, is mostly around the team. It's like, who is this team and do they work well together? And how would they be with a potential change in ownership? And who's looking to maybe excel? Who's looking to maybe have more like managerial type roles, maybe, or certain therapists? When we speak to owners, some some therapists are looking to go into more pelvic health and do more certification. And and the owners are telling us like, you know, this person or that person is looking to do more McKenzie or continue to invest in their career and the continuing education. So like, great. Okay. Those are the types of things that we really, really put a lot of weight in. Nice. And I'm so glad you mentioned social because like even for me, I mean, my YouTube channel with 25,000 subscribers and hitting on 2 million views a year like that provides me with a competitive advantage so that if I became an acquisition target for somebody else, they wanted to come in and buy it. They're not just buying my practice. They're also buying my social media audience, my presence, which they could leverage that across all of the other clinics that the acquiring body owns. So yeah, they can grow a new YouTube channel or they can just buy my business and get my YouTube channel along the way. That being said, before we hit number seven, which I do think is hugely important, I want to plug the Dave Kittle show. So all of you guys who watch this far, <laughs> like you have the genuine interest in these topics, go support what Dave is doing. Go subscribe to his show on iTunes. Go subscribe to his show on YouTube. Like he is putting out incredible content. I'm not selling a business. I have no interest in selling anything that I own. But I still watch your stuff, Dave, because I think it's so useful. And I love hearing the conversations. I especially love the fact that you're going outside of physical therapy, talking to the people from dentistry and other professions, really huge value. So anybody watching this, throw Dave a little subscription and like the video. Now, number seven. So the final point on the list, and I, I look at this from a couple of different perspectives. It's how or if the owner is willing to stay on board. And so what I think, and you tell me I might be wrong, what I think most of us do is as owners, we get to the point where we're so burnt out, we're so frustrated, we're at the end of our rope, we're like, I just want out. I just want to sell. I want to get out. There's no chance I want to do anything else. And we sacrifice a lot of value in doing that because certainly an acquiring body coming in yeah, your team is valuable, your unique competitive advantage and all of that stuff. But I, as the owner, especially if I'm a practicing clinician in the business is probably the most, I'm that cornerstone, the keystone that holds everything together. And so if I think that there is an exit for me somewhere down the road and I can start that process a couple years before I'm completely burnt out, I would be willing to stay on. And if I'm willing to stay on, if I continue to guide and lead the ship, there's so much value in that. And that's what you guys were talking about when you were talking about including the owner, keeping the owner on board, potentially having you know some sort of extended payout, having some metrics where if the clinic and business continue to grow, the owner makes more than they expected. I love that your speaker last time talked about having part equity ownership in the acquiring body so that as their valuation grows, you get a percentage of the money up front, but then you also have stock in whoever is acquiring you. And then when they exit, 
I mean, one of the examples he shared, it was like you get a million and a half or something at the sale, but then you you almost double that when the business that bought you gets bought out. So if the owner can start the selling process before they're ready to sell and they're willing to stay on board and they're willing to keep working with their team and keep everything moving forward through the purchase and for two or three years, I'm guessing, you tell me, I think there's a massive benefit and value in that. Yeah, so a two or three year where the owner is going to potentially stay on for one year, two years, three years is massively helpful for buyers. And it could be whether it's us like a, you know, PT owner group, or it could be a big corporate that has, you know, 25 or 100 locations. Either way, we're going to look at it in a similar light, which is if the owner is looking to get out, they want to travel more, they want to see their kids and grandchildren more, they want to, they're just burnt out with like PT or healthcare, and they don't want to do any more billing or documentation or anything. Like if they completely want to get out, in three months or six months or something after the close, then that becomes a little more risky for the buyer, us. And we have to replace them because many of these owners, even if they're only treating one or two days a week, that's still some amount of revenue production with patient treatment. And it's them managing the day-to-day like, you know, with PTO and scheduling and coverage and hiring or firing and onboarding new employees and things like that. So there's like so many marketing. I mean, there's just a million roles that a practice owner is doing. We all know that. So if the practice owner wants to leave, let's just say three months after the close, they'll stay along for a couple of months and then they completely want to get out of the practice. So then us, the buyers, we need to replace that person and their roles. And what does it cost to replace those roles? And in some cases, it could be, let's just say, I don't know, $75,000 for a, a salaried physical therapist to replace just the patient treatment that that owner was doing from the previous 12 months. Then it's like, okay, well, what else? I mean, the owner is usually doing many other things. So it's like the buyers need to spend time and money and effort to replace those roles. However, if the owner is open to staying on and maybe they want to offload, you know, the hiring, the firing, the HR, the, it could even be the billing and the revenue cycle management, all those types of things. If they're looking to stay on for two or three years or longer, they could dramatically increase the amount of purchase price that they will get for their practice. So they could get more, even if they could get more cash at close and then have some as an earnout or just have more skin in the game as they stay with the practice and help de-risk the transition and the buyers coming in, kind of integrating themselves with the current team that the owner has curated and, and built over the years, the culture and the morale that the owner has built over all these years, the practice owner selling or exiting can dramatically increase the amount of value of total purchase price that they'll get for their practice. And the episode that you were referring to, Dr. Todd Russell, the dentist that has nine acquisitions in the Ohio area, uh, dental acquisitions, dental clinics. He said in the the most recent podcast episode where we were talking about how practice owners can get the highest valuation, he said that if you're looking for the highest valuation, one of the biggest things is that we need you to stick around. We need you to stay on board. And every listen, every practice owner is different, and we're not going to be able to force them one way or the other. So really, it, it is your decision. But please do know that if you're looking to get out in you know six months after the close of the transaction, that the buyers are going to offer you less money. I mean, the saying is, you know, when's the best time to plant an oak tree 20 years ago? When's the second best time today? 
if you're passionate about your business, if you love what you do, if you want to protect that passion, but know that down the road plan to do something else or move in a different direction, like start this process today. Don't wait until you hate the thing that you're doing every single day. This way you have that one, two, three year runway and you can leave on your terms when you're feeling great, when you're at the top of your game. So I think this was great. I, I think, like I said, there are seven topics. Some of them are, are common. Everybody knows it. Some of them aren't discussed as much. But what are your thoughts? How would you like to wrap up the episode? I think that for practice owners listening or watching, this is just one piece of many pieces for them to think about not just consume it, not just listen to it and watch it, but you need to now kind of reflect on it. Some of these things might resonate with you directly. Some of these things may or may not resonate with you at all, or maybe they resonate indirectly, or it's something that you hadn't really thought about. But these are the the tried and true commonalities around valuation of practice and how you can, on a sliding scale, like your practice is worth something on a sliding scale. Like, you know, on the low end, it's worth X and on the high end, it's worth Y. But there's a sliding scale and these factors, these seven factors and, and other things that Tony and I talk about, but these seven factors are things that actually can slide it one way or the other, you know, in your favor or in the opposite direction. So think about when you're listening to things like this, my suggestion would be taking notes and, and thinking about how these things relate to you directly. And then, you know, you can listen to Tony and I, other, other interviews and other podcasts to further build on this in terms of like your level of seriousness and where are you in the funnel of like, are you just like early of thinking about like, oh, I never really thought about selling my practice or something like you're a little more serious. Like, I wonder what my practice is worth. So you're somewhere on the path. And then maybe it's like you spoken to your attorney or lawyer about it or a broker advisor or your financial advisor or something like that. So then you're getting further and further into the funnel of like levels of seriousness. And hopefully this is just one next step to get you closer. Awesome. Great job. Excellent. So if you guys find this valuable, like Tony said, subscribe, rate, review. And Tony, thank you for, again for the shout out midway here in the, uh, the episode. Really appreciate it. Also, guys, check out ChoosePTFirst.com. This is Tony's new website and new new production here. ChoosePT1ST.com. ChoosePTFirst. Probably very soon, if they just Google that, it'll probably come up for them. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting more and more pages indexed every single day. We're building domain authority. Like It will be, you know, it's one of those things where over the last 20 years, I've been accumulating skills gradually. And this is really the first time that I'm seeing the acceleration of the success of a single website happen quicker than I've ever seen before. And so it'd be a great resource for everybody to be a part of. And it's free. It's free. It's completely free. There's no reason why every single clinician shouldn't have a member directory listing. And there is some APTA directory listing. And you mentioned before, like, this is not to be in competition or to, you know, be some, you know, this is like your gift back to the profession. So can you just riff on that real quick about like the yeah. difference? You know, so there's the APTA website. There is choosept.com, which is the APTA's consumer facing portion of the website. It's an amazing website. They do an amazing job. I wanted something that I had more influence and control over. And so this is something that absolutely in no way competes with or takes away from what the APTA has done or is doing. This is just one more resource that's trying to kind of 
Get in that conversation earlier in the process with the consumer. We know how many people need our services, would benefit from our services. We know how frustrating it is for them to go to the doctor, go to the surgeon, try the pharmaceutical route, like do all of these other things. And so with the knowledge that I've accumulated over the last 20 or so years in website design and SEO and online content, I'm like, I really think that I can provide a resource that helps lift and elevate the entire profession, puts our information in front of the audience earlier in the decision of what do I do for this painful shoulder? What do I do for my child who has these development issues? Where can I find answers to questions that nobody seems to know the answer to? You know, I think I can create the platform and then you guys, the clinicians can provide the information that your clients are looking for. Is this almost meant to be, if everything goes well, like a like a WebMD, but for physical therapy? Yeah, uh, I would say it's it's kind of a combination. There's the directory portion. So any individual therapist can create a member listing that allows them to show up in organic Google search. And, and you know, patients can find them when they're searching for physical therapy in Middletown, Ohio. But then there's also the content side of it, the media company side of it. And this is where... I'm making a big push to get information to clinicians, useful information like what are the CEU requirements in a particular state or how do I license or, you know, the PT compact information, but then also patient focused information. So I've been doing a lot of work with HARO, help a reporter out. I've been getting a lot of references and backlinks from large media sites like Women's Fitness and other sites like that. And the idea is that if somebody sitting at home right now, a potential patient who would benefit from our service is searching for, you know, is it safe to play pickleball with a rotator cuff repair? I want our content showing up when they do that search. Is Should I use ice or heat on a painful elbow? I want our information showing up above or around WebMD, Healthline, and, and these other large media sites. And so that's the whole idea is we need a seat at the table. If we don't build a centralized resource and I could never do it by myself. So you guys creating your member directories, you guys contributing content, that is the only way we can compete with a WebMD or a Healthline or a media site that's got hundreds of thousands of pieces of content out there. We need to do it as a collective movement. And that's what this does. It gives us that platform. And then of course, there's some equity, there's some benefit to when my directory site that goes higher and higher in domain authority sends a backlink to your website, you will start to rise in domain authority, which means you can start to outrank some of your local competitor websites. You know, so it's kind of a, a self-perpetuating cycle, but it really is the best way for us to accelerate, seems like the word of the day, accelerate our ability to be on page one for major keywords for topics that patients are looking for. I love it. Meeting consumers where they're at and where they're yeah. at is usually looking on Google or YouTube for answers to those common questions. Love it. Perfect place to pause, Tony. Appreciate your time. This is great. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I'll see you again soon, I'm sure. You got it. Bye. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. 
And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.